0: Today is Sunday, June the 14th, 2009, and we're at the Through the Bible Sunday School class at the First United Methodist Church of Fountain Valley, California, and I've asked Cheryl to open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word and thank you for Vicky's preparation of it. I ask a special blessing on her as she presents your word to us that we may open our hearts, and you would come in and manifest yourself to us, that we may know you better and follow you closer. In your Son's name, amen. 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 Well, we left off, I think it was something like May the 17th when we were last gathered, and we're in the book of Job, and we left off at 5.18. And I had mentioned to you that you will, as you read the book of Job, you will hear passages that remind you of other passages in Scripture. You think, oh, that sounds like something I've heard before. And I'll point some of them out as we go, that you really aren't imagining things, that they are reminding you of other passages. I heard a sermon this week that impacted me, um... Maybe you've heard the saying that that Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. And when we started this class, however many long years ago it was, somewhere between five to seven years, none of us remember, including the Olsons. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. We can't remember exactly when it started. But we talked about how Jesus was on every page of the Scripture. So in this sermon I heard this week, he said that some people will say that In the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is concealed, and in the New Testament, he's revealed. And the pastor said, he was a pastor from England, that he didn't really agree with that because he thought the Old Testament was very revealing of who Jesus Christ was. And then he started with Genesis and kept working his way through broad brush, starting with um, the... uh, story of Abraham and Isaac and Isaac carrying the wood up the hill and the whole symbolism of the cross and he went to Joseph who was destined to rule and his brothers were upset with that and how he was you know sold into slavery and Christ was bought for the price of a slave Joseph mm-hmm. was bought and he just did all these glorious passages and he said you know time would would not would prevent me from going through Every passage in the Old Testament, he said, I'm not just referring to the passages that they say are Messianic prophecies, but just the pictorial, symbolic information that can be derived out of the Old Testament about who Christ is. And it does make sense because the sacrifice of Christ on the cross with his subsequent resurrection is where everything is heading. That is the story of our salvation. And um, the book of Job gives understanding of Christ's sufferings and how we will be called to suffer and sometimes what will seem like senselessly and without reason And then I began to think more about Job's comforters, because the Lord Jesus had no comforters either. In fact, in his hour of worst distress and arrest, they all fled and left him, the New Testament says. Peter looked on from afar, but he couldn't even say that he knew him. And they all left him out of fear. And you know, Job started very hopeful. He, he three friends of his, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, came to him. They sat with him in the dust where he was, scrape, scraping himself with the potsherd, the broken pottery. And they were silent, and they wept with him, and they saw that his suffering was very great. And if they had left it there would have caused a lot less pain for Job. Job was trying to process what was happening to him. And actually, the negative stuff coming from the comforters does help him to process. But, you know, when you're in suffering, it's hard to stay honest. There's a part of you where it would just be easier to say that you're here because of something you did that was unrighteous. And that's what Eliphaz and Bildad are going to try to say. You wouldn't be going through this if you hadn't done something, if you weren't, you know, unrighteous in some way, because not, nothing else could explain this except for that. So I'll get into the passages as I do, and then I'll, uh, I'll share a little bit of things that Oswald Chambers said about these passages. So in chapter five, we're just almost to the end of the first speech of Eliphaz. And we were at chapter 18 where he says, For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. And when I left you last week, I told you that that passage comes right out of Hosea 6. And you don't have to turn there, but Hosea says at 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up. And, of course, that's just latent with so much meaning because Mm -hmm. that's what happened not only to Christ, and, of course, we know he will raise us up. So, (coughs) for he wounds, and I guess I would say that Job is written before Hosea, so did Hosea get it out of Job. Hmm. He will deliver you from six troubles, and in seven no evil shall touch you. And if that is reminding you of some other passage... That comes from Can't find my own notes. No, I wrote that one down though. I hate that one. I can't read my own handwritings. Okay. Okay, Psalm twelve. I knew I had it in there somewhere. Psalm twelve six. And Psalm twelve says, I couldn't remember if I'd shared some of this because we didn't have such a long time the last time we were together. Psalm 12 6. The word The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And um, here he says, He will deliver you from six troubles and in seven no evil shall touch you. In famine He will redeem you from death. When you're reading the book of Job, you'll say, well, in the overview I understand that the comforters were incorrect in their approach to Job, so can I take to heart anything they said? And that's the interesting thing, is because the comforters, it's not that they're not speaking the truth. It's they're not speaking the truth as it should be applied to Job's situation. Are there situations where you fall into trouble because you are unrighteous? Absolutely. The consequences of sin are difficult to deal with. So, now you understand that the comforters don't have a false religion or aren't incorrect. What's incorrect is that they think these truths apply to Job. And that's where Job's suffering is, is because Job even too will acknowledge that the Lord wounds, but he dies up, he binds up, he shatters, but his hands heal. Is that the truth? Mm-hmm. That's the truth. See? But was it true that, that uh, he had sinned? And here in this suffering of Job, that he was assumed to have sinned, that his trouble would come upon him, that's what Christ Jesus endured. See? Was he hung there on the cross? What did the population think? He was dying for his sins, huh? hmm Instead, he was dying for our sins. In famine, he will redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh and shall not fear the beasts of the earth for you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you you will know that your tent is at peace and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. These were painful words because Job didn't have any fold left. Remember, all his animals and all his livestock had been destroyed already prior to this chapter. So you see, they are really putting the knife in where it really hurts for Job. And you'll know that your offspring shall be many. Well, where is Job's... Children. He had ten children, I believe it was. They're dead at this point. Your descendants as the grass of the earth. He has no descendants. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age. Didn't look like he was going to live very long. Like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out, it is true. Hear and know it for your good. In other words, Job. Apply these truths to your life and you can only come up with one result or one conclusion. And that is, you need to turn from evil and this will be for your good. Now Job is going to respond to um, Eliphaz. Job answers and says, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, my spirit drinks their poison, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. So he's, what he's saying is, the arrows of the Almighty are already in me, and the, and the things that you are saying to me is making me feel worse, and your food is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. It actually takes a lot of strength when you're ill, when you're in loss, when you're in grief, to stand in your integrity and say it would actually be easier for me to say that somehow I have denied the Lord but I haven't. What is my strength that I should wait and what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? In other words, I'm not going to be able to stand up to this forever. Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Those were good words for Job to say to these men. Because when you don't understand what God is doing in someone's life, it's best to be silent and to just give kindness. Because it's really not up to you to figure it out if the Lord hasn't shown you. He says, My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away, which are dark with ice, and where the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tima look, the travelers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For now, for you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and you're afraid. Sometimes a person's calamity will challenge your theology. You don't have an explanation and it makes you afraid. So you try to explain it away. Have I said make me a gift or from your wealth offer a bribe for me? or deliver me from the adversary's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless. In other words, I haven't asked you to do anything to relieve my misery. I've lost my children, I've lost my animals, my business, and I have not asked you to make this easier for me. But I'd practically like to ask you to stop heaping pain on me. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. How forceful are upright words. But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. Of course, there we see more uh, messianic symbols. They cast lots for the Lord's garments, and he was bargained for by Judas. But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of my calamity? In other words, I have sought God and I do not believe that it is from unrighteousness or sin in me that all this calamity has come upon me. Wouldn't God be showing me if that was the truth? Now, <clears throat> in Oswald Chambers' book on uh, on Job, he discusses... Um, Eliphaz here, and he, ta- he says that Eliphaz is a pedagogue of priggishness. I didn't know that word, priggishness. We know Oswald Chambers is a Brit. So I had to look up priggishness, and, and the dictionary said that priggishness, a prig, is an annoying person who thinks they know everything about what's right and what's wrong. That's my definition of prig. Yeah. And uh, it says, um, Eliphaz is not only certain what God will do, but he asserts that what Job is going through is chastisement at the hand of God. But chastisement is a much lesser thing than the real problem of Job's life. The chief ingredient in chastening is that it is meant to develop us and is a means of expression. The greatest element in the suffering of Job was not chastisement, but the supernatural preface to his story which he knew nothing which was about the conversation that God had with Satan. If Eliphaz is right, his evidence would, would prove that Job was a hypocrite. His attitude is that of a pedagogue of priggishness. Beware of priggishness as you would of poison. The danger of suedo evangelism is that it makes the preacher a superior person. Not that he's necessarily a prig, but the attitude is produced by the way he has been taught. Then he says, remember when the Lord said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His reference was not to the skilled angler, but to those who use the dragnet, something which requires practically no skill. The point being that you don't have to watch your fish, but you have to do the simple thing, which is drag the net, and God will do the rest. So he said, you know, in the noble view, is that God does the work. So he says here, Um, this about this suedo form of, uh, of evangelism, he said, he quotes an English biologer and teacher named Huxley, who said, I object to Christians, they know too much about God. Eliphaz can tell Job everything about God, but when we come to the facts of the case, we find that the man who is criticizing Job is not fit to sit down beside him. Eliphaz was in a much better condition at the beginning when he did not open his mouth. Then, then he was not a prig, but a man f- facing facts which had no explanation as yet. In the study of the book of Job, it is making us reverent with what we don't understand and we are gaining insight. There is suffering before which you cannot say a word. You cannot preach the gospel of temperament. All you can do is remain dumb and leave room for God to do as he likes. God is greater. He says that theology is a great thing. So is man's creed. But God is greater than either. And the next thing, the next greatest thing, is my relationship to him. So, um, Job will now continue in chapter 7, still responding to this speech of, of Eliphaz, has not man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who looks for his wages. So I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. And of course, as I was reading all this, I was thinking again of the sufferings of Christ. And some of these things are mirrored if you read Psalm 22, which talks a lot about the suffering of Christ, which is a Psalm of David. But in 22, six, it says, But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. He talks about it, verse 16, dogs encompass me, evildoers encircle me. Um, so, um, so like Job, Let's see. Verse 7, it's chapter 7. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him any more. Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. so I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life and I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. That comes right from Psalm 8, or Psalm 8 comes right here because Job is maybe possibly the earliest book of the Bible. But um, at Psalm 8, at verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now we know that David read the book of Job. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? You know, that's what Christ did too. If I sin, what do I do to you? Because they wouldn't give him anything to drink. You watcher of mankind. Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgressions and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. I had all these various passages marked, but I'll end there since we're out of time. At John 16, Jesus said, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Then his disciples said to another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by that saying? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So the book of Job is actually a very, very deep book, and I think as we read it we should think of the sufferings of Christ, his separation from the Father, bearing up under the iniquity, and he had done no wrong. And because He had done no wrong was why He was the perfect sacrifice. So um, I think we will end there. And I'm going to ask you, Bill, if you'll close us in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee today for this reading of Thy Word and Thy understanding of it. Father, be with us as we go forth into life and help us to live in Thy name. Mm In name we ask, comment. Thank you. (laughs)